Amen. Psalm 18. 2 Samuel 22. That psalm's in your Bible twice. David, having gained victory over all his enemies, cut loose with 50 verses of praise in that wonderful psalm. I hope some of you read it last evening or this morning. I know Brother Jerry didn't found a verse that meant a great deal to him this very day. Let me in a few minutes share four more attributes with you of our glorious God Jehovah. Men and women speak a great deal about being compatible with another person. And I want to show you that there is compatibility between God and His children, and He has arranged for that so that there can be a close relationship between us. The Lord Jehovah is compatible with His children in several different ways for your great comfort. Lots of men and women, husbands and wives, guys and girls, want to talk about how compatible they are. Similar interests, similar nature, similar backgrounds, similar education, similar intellect, preferences, whatever the case might be. While there is a great distance and a great difference between God and men, there are a number of similarities and compatibilities that He has created for us. The first I want to show you is in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. And let me go through these rather quickly because I've got a list of ten. Compatibility aspects between God and us. In the beginning, when God created us, here is what it says in the 26th verse of the first chapter in the Bible. And God said, Let us make man in our image. After our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Everything made to that 26th verse is an irrational creature or inanimate matter. God made us rational creatures with a spirit and a conscience and a soul that can relate to Him because He is an infinite, invisible, immortal Spirit Himself. He gave us dominion over this creation so that we have something else in common with Him, that we have the dominion over everything else He created here on earth as He has dominion over the whole universe. But this great God of heaven created man in His likeness after His image, and in our spirits, and in our the rational aspect of our beings, in being able to relate to Him who is a spirit, we are made in His image. We don't have His inherent attributes. That makes Him God. And we are not God, nor are we close to being God. But He does say, in certain respects, He made us like Himself. Let us... Uh, what an early evidence of the Trinity, huh? All the way back in Genesis 1. Let us and God... Not God's. And God said, let us. One God, three persons, 1 John 5, 7 and other places. Let us make man after our image, after our likeness. We have that spirit. We have a spirit that is like God. We can relate to Him on a spiritual level. We don't have to verbalize things. We think them internally. We can love. We can desire. We can worship. We can praise in our spirits, we're like God. And He started out that way by making us that way. Then He sends the Lord Jesus Christ. So it says in the Bible, there is one God and one mediator 
between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ was subject to every temptation you have ever been subject to. He was a healthy, red-blooded male. You have never been alone in your temptation. He is touched with the feelings of our infirmities, men. And he sits at God's right hand. So there is a mediator and a high priest who is able to succor them or to help them that are tempted. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ. So he has taken another step for compatibility by having the Lord Jesus Christ be our high priest. Look at Colossians chapter 3 and verse 10. Genesis is very limited when we were made in the image and after the likeness of God. And you may already be thinking to yourself, you didn't say very much about how we are like God in Genesis because there isn't much in Genesis of how we are like God. More comes later. And it comes by regeneration. Because look at what Colossians chapter 3 and verse 10 has to say. Using some of the same words from Genesis chapter 1. Colossians 3.10. I need to get verse 9 so that you have a context flowing into the 10th verse. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. Now the 10th verse. And have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. We have more of the image of God after regeneration. It is our new man, and when we put on our new man, that means to walk in the way that the new man wants to walk. We are yet closer to the image of God. We are closer to the image and the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's number three. Number four, in Second Peter chapter 1 it says, that by God's power we have been made partakers of the divine nature. There's another expression in the Bible of God creating compatibility. Now we don't partake of His divine nature in His omnipotence or unlimited power, but we do partake of His divine nature in holiness and righteousness. For our new man has those and other transferable attributes of the God we worship. We're made partakers of the divine nature. That's a fantastic statement, and we're not Mormons. We don't believe that we're gods and are going to have our own little planets. And therefore, we need to populate them with some multiple marriages. We're looking at the Bible and what it says itself about our compatibility. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. It says in the last part of verse 12, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. When you please another person, there is some compatibility. Well, God worked that in us, and we are to work it out. It is God which worked in you both to will and to do. That we would choose that we would prefer the things of God over the things of this world, and that we would actually do those things. God worked in us, and we're supposed to work that out, and that's part of our compatibility as God continues to conform us more and more to be like Him, so that in heaven there will be perfect compatibility, though there will certainly not be equality. Jesus Christ Himself will be subordinate to God in heaven, as 1 Corinthians 15 teaches us. 
Look at 1 Corinthians 2.16. You may know the words. I'll just say them to you for time's sake. For ye have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Now, how compatible is a natural man with God? It's foolish. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things. For ye have the mind of Christ. Verse 16. These are statements in the Bible showing us that there is compatibility between us and God, and He has arranged it. He created us with a small measure of compatibility, but when He saved us in our new man, it's much more like Him, and in the putting on of that new man, we can form our lives to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ and the partakers of God's divine nature. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4. And when we think about the concept or the, the action of love, where does it come from? Because the Apostle Paul would say that we, referring to himself and Titus, to whom he was writing, we also ourselves were sometimes foolish. Titus chapter 3 and verse 3. We also, our own selves were sometimes foolish, living in malice and envy, hateful, and hating one another. By nature we hate. We're selfish, we're proud, we're arrogant, and we hate. What makes the difference? Here's the difference. And it's part of being born again and having that new nature put within us. The world does not love the way that God requires love. Even when they do something that appears loving on the outside, it is not done with the motives of what generates and drives real love. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you. There is an element and a level of love that the Thessalonians had that Paul did not have to tell them to get. As touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you. Then why are you writing to them? Because he's going to say more in a moment. For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed, ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. See, Paul is teaching them to love, but there's a basic understanding, grasping, and power and strength to love others that God puts in us. We're just supposed to work that out and have more of it and increase in it. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. The Old Testament was written in tables of stone, and it was a ministry of condemnation. The Old Testament said, if you don't keep all of these commandments perfectly, you'll die. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. And that's what 2 Corinthians 3 is all about. The Old Covenant was written in stone. And it was a ministry of condemnation. It was a ministry of death. The New Testament is written in the fleshy tables of our heart. And it is the ministry of justification and salvation and life. And we have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit to be able to live it. And so we come to the... Paul is drawing this comparison that if the Old Testament had the glorious presentation of it on Mount Sinai that had the fire and the earthquake and the great voice of God that was waxing louder and louder and Moses himself was quaking and trembling, if that covenant had such glory, how much greater is the glory of the new covenant? That comparison is being run all the way down through 2 Corinthians 3. We come to the last two verses. 
Now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. We have liberty in the New Testament. We're not under condemnation. We've been freed from God's law because Jesus Christ fulfilled it for us. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass, as if you were looking in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. The more we walk in the Spirit of God, the more the Spirit of God perfects those things in our lives so that we progress from one level of glory to another level of glory to another level of glory because we are conforming ourselves more and more to the image of Jesus Christ. That's the New Testament. And that's the Spirit of the Lord. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty and there is power and there is conforming us. And we are being changed from glory to glory as we see the glory of the Lord. And see, the comparison there is when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, they couldn't even look at Moses. Being that close to God's glory on Mount Sinai, he came down, his face was glowing, he had to hang a veil over his face. But we in the New Testament can look at the Lord Jesus Christ, there's no veil on him to us, and we see the glory of God, and the Spirit of God continues to conform us to Him, His his image. Now listen, if you say to yourself, well, I'm the same way I was as five years ago, well, then you need today's sermon. Because you need to change, and I need to change. And we need to be going from glory to glory as we get more like God's image. But you know what? We still need a big operation, don't we? 1 Corinthians 15 says, Flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. What you're living in right now doesn't cut it. You say, I'm in pretty good shape. I'm not very much overweight. It doesn't cut it. Flesh and blood cannot get into heaven. So we're going to get new bodies. Then we're going to be perfectly conformed. We shall be changed. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall all be changed. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Then we'll be perfectly conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ and we'll be as compatible as we're ever going to be with God. We're going to have a spiritual body and power. 1 Corinthians 15 describes it. And we're going to spend eternity with Him. Is that wonderful? He's not this this concept way off in a distance that just wants to thunder and crush you. He's made us similar to Him and He's conforming us to be like Him. He's our Heavenly Father. He's our friend. We're His sons. Do sons bear some resemblance to their father? Did did Paul write in Romans chapter 8, For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate that He might be the firstborn among many brethren, that we might be conformed to the image of His Son? That's the goal of our salvation. God is going to conform us more and more, but He has already started the process. When we're born again, that starts the process. That's a new man. You're not going to get a new, new man when you get to heaven. You've got the new man. The new man knows what pleases God. Because God has worked in the new man, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. It's just that we're supposed to work out that new man by putting that new man on like clothes and dressing ourselves with the new man every day and putting off the old man. When we get baptized, we're saying, I'm burying my old man under those waters, and this is my new man that's coming out of the water to walk in newness of life. Because we want to be as compatible as we can be with God, but He's made us that we can be. He does not call us the sons of God, nor does He call Himself our Father for flattery, for formality, or for political correctness. We don't believe in the universal fatherhood of God. It's a heresy. 
But he says that for the design similarity and compatibility that we have with him. Because he is turning us into his children. Isn't that wonderful? Love him and delight in him and glory in him. He's your father. And it's more than just a, a title of reverence or respect. He's conforming you and letting you partake in those aspects of his nature that you're able to handle. Lord, help us to handle them better than we do. And help us to put them on. Our Lord God is responsive. He's sensitive, he's compassionate, and he's pitiful. You know, the Lord Jehovah responds to our prayers, but that would be considered under a prayer-answering God that we considered last Sunday. I want you to think about the times you don't pray. I want you to think about the times you don't know what to pray for. He's responsive. He looks at our situations, and he gets involved, and he's responsive. He is sensitive, compassionate, and pitiful to us. Psalm 103, you know I'm going to go to Psalm 103. You've heard me pray it. It's such an important statement about understanding and knowing God. He wants you to know Him this way, under this particular attribute of being responsive. Psalm 103, verse 13. Like as a father pitieth his children. So, He's like a father. What kind of a father pities his children? A good father. So he's like a good father. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. He recognizes their weakness and he responds accordingly by not putting on them what they cannot do. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. I am thankful for a God that's responsive by looking at me and knowing my frame is dust. My frame is weak. I cannot measure up to His perfect standard. And so He's merciful. And He's pitiful. And He pities me. I like that. You know why I like it? Because I need it. You may not need it. But I need it. And I tell Him that I need it. And I love to tell Him that I need it. Because I want to reason with Him about these words when I pray to Him and confess my sinfulness and my sins. He's responsive. He knows your frame. He knows that you're dust and He responds accordingly by not crushing you for every violation. You know, He's holy and He's just and He's right and He's perfect. When we sin against Him after all He's done for us, He could. In my book, if He was fair, He should crush us. But He's better than fair. He's gracious and full of mercy and full of pity. He's responsive to us. Was God moved by David's desire to build him a temple? Was God responsive? Did you like... I know I've referred to a number of times going through this series because there's a, there's a reason. Second Samuel 7 is one of the most tender chapters in the Bible about God and a man talking to each other. And the man, David, wanted to do something great for God. And God said, I've never, I never thought of that. I never even gave a hint at wanting such a thing. Where, where'd you get such an idea as that? Listen, I'm not going to let you do it. You've been a man of war your whole life. I'll let your son do it. But because you came up with such a great idea, I'm going to build you a house. And then David responds by saying, when has, it got, when has God ever spoken to a man like this? But please, do what you said. 
And he says it about four or five times before the chapter ends. Please do what you said between God and David. I don't... I, don't, I hardly know of any passages in the Bible that you should read and not be moved more on your inside that you want to be like David and that you understand that God is responsive. God is affected. God is vulnerable when we come up with ideas of service toward him and love toward him and praise toward him. He's moved by it. He was moved by David. Nathan, you go tell David I'm going to build him a house. Now that's, is the house of David still standing today? When will, his, when will his heirs finally die off and the throne of David be empty? Never. Do you know there's one happy father in heaven named David in spirit? And do you know that that David knows that he doesn't deserve one bit of that? Right. Although my house be not so with God, yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant. Why? Because he's a responsive God. He liked David. He delighted in David. Why? Because David delighted in him. If you delight in him, he'll give you the desires of your heart. He'll change the desires of your heart, but he'll give you both kinds of desires of your heart if they're righteous and good, if you delight in him. That should be the most fantastic, most inviting, most wonderful opportunity that I could ever tell you is to delight in the Lord God. Take pleasure in him, love him, adore him, Praise Him. Glory in Him. Be excited about Him. Speak with the voice of triumph and boast about Him. And He'll boast about you. Hast thou seen my servant Job? Is that a response of God? Did He respond to Job's righteousness? Praise the Lord. Yes, He did. You know, David's sinned, and David's sins are recorded for us in the Bible. They're horrible sins. But are you able to read through the the life of David and see God's varying response to David's sins according to his degree of culpability? When when David numbered Israel and 70,000 men died, when 70,000 men died, do you think the guy that caused it should die? But why did David number Israel? Because God moved him to by turning him over to Satan. Because he had a problem with Israel, not with David. But he used David. Because sometimes God may use you or me for his greater glory and the chastening of others, and he is righteous. You never read about that again, even though 70,000 men died. But where one man died, you read about it throughout the pages of Scripture. Even when you get to the New Testament, you open Matthew chapter 1, it says the son of David by her that was the wife of Uriah. Because that one, God didn't let him off the hook. Because he had a high measure of culpability and responsibility in that one. But God is responsive. God knows your trials and your temptations. He knows the degree of severity they came. He knows the degree of knowledge you had about that particular sin. He knows what you're stressed with. He's faithful. He's reasonable. He's responsive. He pities us, and I'm thankful for that. That doesn't give us license to sin. But it gives us mercy at the mercy seat. To go there and to seek it and to count on it. You may cast your cares upon God, for He cares for you and He's responsive. You cast your cares, he'll catch them, and he'll do something about them. If you try to bear your cares, he'll sit back and see what you're going to do. See how well you do with your cares. Cast them. It says cast. That means to throw them off. Get rid of them. Lord, that's yours. I don't know how to deal with it anymore. It's all yours. I trust you. You've got the power. You've got the wisdom. I have neither. I've done my best. I'm at my wit's end. 
Is that scriptural to say that? What book of the Bible? What chapter? One oh, one oh seven. At wit's end, we can tell the Lord that. When your spirit is overwhelmed within you, you should go to the rock that is higher than you. Because he's responsive, he'll respond when we show our trust in him and that we do not trust ourselves. How responsive was God to David's confession about his sins of adultery and murder? You say you're using David a lot into this point. Listen, if you're going to talk about knowing God, you're going to use David a lot. We're told more about, I've told you this before, we're told more about David than any ten men in Scripture put together. His personal life from, from young to old. We know his dying words. We know his words as a teenager. And we know everything that happened to him in between. We know the outpouring of his heart. We know his tears. We know his prayers. We know his praise. Because it's in the book of Psalms. How responsive. When you read Psalm 51, there is a broken man in Psalm 51. He's broken and contrite. And he starts with his conception, and he admits that he has sinned against God. His sins against Uriah and Bathsheba were nothing to even speak of in that prayer. They were sins against God, and he account- <coughs> He admits it all. How responsive was God? He was this responsive. When Nathan told him that God knew about his sin, and David said, I have sinned against the Lord, immediately Nathan said to him, The Lord hath forgiven thee. Thou shalt not die. Is that responsive? Did their little love child die? Did God comfort David that he would go and see that little child? Yes. Then what happened? He went in and he lay with Bathsheba again. And what was the result? Solomon. Solomon. What a God. You say, I don't think that's fair. It's not fair. It's gracious and merciful and it's loving and it's responsive is what I'm trying to tell you. This God that we worship. But I want to tell you something. David came clean every bit. David didn't come partially clean. David came clean with the Lord. Go read Psalm 51. When the Lord says, The Lord hath forgiven thee, thou shalt not die. You're clean. Israel, they worked so hard. How many years were they in Egypt? 215 years. They worked hard building some of those cities for the pharaohs. But is God responsive? Did he hear their groaning come up into heaven? Sometimes you groan and you don't even know how to pray. or You, don't, you can't even get yourself to pray. You're just groaning. Does the Lord hear your groaning? Does the Lord hear and see your sighing? We read the Bible for a reason. If you've been through Genesis and Exodus, you very well know what I'm talking about right now. Because the Lord heard and saw. When they left, before they left Egypt, after the first couple plagues, was there a distinction made in the land of Goshen? When the angel of the Lord, when the Lord himself went through the land of Egypt and struck the firstborn, everything that had opened a womb, man and beast, What does it say about Goshen? That there was great turmoil there? Or does it say that a dog didn't even bark? Do you know what's going on in Egypt? There is a death angel 
They're called slaughtering angels, Ezekiel chapter 9. They have weapons of slaughter, and they stand before the Lord of hosts. And the Lord went into Egypt and took the firstborn out in every family and every barn. And there was a great deal of screaming and wailing and terror. But there wasn't even a dog barking in Goshen. Is that responsive? Would that be comforting? Israel was scared. Israel did not like Moses going to Pharaoh and making their work harder. You need to go read it in the first few chapters of Exodus. They did not appreciate Moses on his first few attempts because all it did is take away the straw, and yet the number of bricks they had to make every day was not reduced. They said, our situation's now worse. Thank you. Read it. But was it going to get better? All of a sudden, the plagues... If you lived near the border of the camp, listen, there's hail falling that was large enough and falling ferociously enough that it killed any living thing that was out of the barn. And there was fire mixed with it. There was lightning coming down and running across the ground with the hail that was coming down. And you could stand right there at the border of Goshen and there's a line. That's responsive. That's comforting them. They needed that kind of comfort. When they left Egypt, what did they take with them? They plundered the nation. Did they get all their back wages? Oh, yes. The Lord is so good. When when they got to the land of Canaan, did they have to... How many generations did it take for them to dig the wells, build the cities, the houses, and furnish them? How many generations? How many years? Because the cities were built, walled up, houses furnished, wells dug, Vineyards mature. Praise His glorious name. Amen. He's responsive to His people. Look at Isaiah 63. And I'll close down number two. The second attribute that I wanted to give you this afternoon. We've looked at compatible. Look at the efforts that the Lord has gone through to make us compatible to Him. Do you remember when I preached to you about adoption? And how the Lord came into the orphanage of this world? And I gave him a certain gesture with my hands when he looked through the the plexiglass to see Jonathan Crosby in there. Now Jerry says that he had to go down numerous stories into the dungeon to find him. But I spit against the glass and God Almighty came in there and paid the price to pull me out of there against my will. And the price was the blood of his own son. But then as he stuck me in the back seat of that limo on our ride to heaven, I'm not a good guy with metaphors, you know that, but Jerry's in the back seat too. And we don't like each other. There was a reason he was in the dungeon. He was dangerous to good little boys like me in the orphanage. So the Lord changes our hearts. He conforms us to his image. And all of a sudden we're back there hugging each other and wanting to know more about where we're going. Because the Lord is continually conforming us into His image. That was compatible. Right now I want you to see how responsive God is. Isaiah 63, let me start at verse 7. These are are a couple long verses, but follow with me. Isaiah 63, verse 7. This is your God. This is my God. Trust this God. Love this God. I will mention the loving kindnesses of the Lord. And the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord hath bestowed on us, and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, 
which he hath bestowed on them according to his mercies and according to the multitude of his loving kindnesses. For he said, this is God speaking, surely they are my people, children that will not lie. So he was their savior. He sure put them in a good light. Verse 9, in all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them, and he bare them and carried them all the days of old. Isaiah 63, 7 through 9. And if you read Nehemiah chapter 9 last night to prepare, you read a condensed history of Israel in which they were a very difficult people that turned their backs on God and rebelled against him repeatedly, but he continually was afflicted with their affliction. That's how responsive our God is. Now, brethren, he's not just responsive. He dotes on his people with loving kindness and affection. Doting is a word used in the Bible for lovers and how they want to take care of little tiny things of luxury and pleasure for one another. And the Lord does that for his people. He is doting. He is pampering on us as his children. He wants to give us delectable, delightful, precious things. In the Bible, they're called tender mercies. In the Bible, they're called loving kindnesses. Can you believe a word that has the word that's loving, kind, and ness? And it's one word. Try to write that and see if Microsoft Word doesn't grab your attention and say that you got a few too many syllables in that. But it's loving kindnesses. One word. Because it's based on love and it's based on kindness that God shows us because our Father in Heaven is a doting Father. How can you ever read Psalm 103 and not come away saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. They're huge. You know, one brother forced me to go outside today. I never go outside on the Lord's Day. But I went outside today because that sunshine was wonderful out there. For someone from Michigan, it was twice wonderful. It was a, it's a beautiful day. Yesterday morning, at, you thought you were getting the flood on Friday night, and the tailors were getting the flood. But Friday morning, clear sky. I mean, Saturday morning, clear sky. There was a place I could position myself on my deck early in the morning as the sun came up, and it was good. What food item do you want to think of? Do you appreciate marriage? Do children bring joy to your heart? Are are the things that are recorded in the Word of God precious to you? All the tender mercies that God shows us, and they're countless, and we could spend a, a couple sermons on just the tender mercies of God. But it's because He's doting in His care of us. Do you know what the Bible says? Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. He was that way with David. He was that way with Abraham. And he's that way with us. Full of tender mercies. Solomon, what wilt thou that I give thee? Oh, my Lord, I'm so young for this kingdom. I'm but a little child. I don't know how to go out or to come in. Wilt thou give me a wise and understanding heart that I will know how to lead this thy so great a nation? It says, the Lord loved the prayer. So what happens when the Lord loves the prayer and he's a doting heavenly father? Solomon, you didn't ask for riches. Most men would have asked for riches. So I'm going to give them to you. No one's going to be richer than you. They would have asked for the neck of their enemies. I'm going to give you peace. 
They would have asked for long life. If you'll obey me, I'll give you long life. What kind of a doting father is that? If God was just a father, and if God only cared about wisdom, and he only cared about righteousness, and that's all that there was to him, then he'd have said, great prayer request, Solomon. I'm going to give you a wise and understanding heart, and you're going to be wise and be able to righteously lead this nation. But he's a doting father. Because Solomon didn't ask for it. Guess who will think of the things that you don't ask for? If you will, Was there a prayer offered in this church by someone other than me in the last few minutes in which there is one prayer request that ought to come before all others and God will take care of the rest if we put the one prayer request first? Was that said in this pulpit? Did you hear that? Did you think about it? Do you believe that? Do you practice that? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. That is a New Testament promise that is for you and for me. And I'm not preaching some prosperity gospel. I'm preaching the God of Solomon, who is the God of the Son of Solomon, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you'll put walking with God and fellowship with Him and knowing Him and knowing His fellowship and the fellowship of His Spirit and being conformed to the image of Christ's death, if you'll put those things first in your life, the Lord as a doting Father will add the others. Did that same person that prayed in this pulpit a little while ago ask that the unmarrieds in this church would put the Lord first in their lives and have a true independent love of God? And when they do that, then provide them a spouse that's likewise minded? That's how it works. If you're being foolish in any part of your life and not truly putting the Lord first, you're hindering the Lord. Put the Lord first. Cast the entire matter on Him. And trust Him, because He's a doting Father. Brethren, I love comparing us to the Catholics. Because she is the Mother Church. And so I agree with them on one thing. She's the Mother Church. She's the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Revelation 17, 1-6. I preached to you last Lord's Day how that God hears prayer, answers prayer, and teaches us how to pray. Some of you have told this to you, and I may have written it to you, but I want to say it again. The Catholics teach you to pray by the rosary. If you want to be heard in heaven, you're going to get your string of 55 beads and pray your way through it three times for 165 prayers. 150 prayers are entitled Hail Mary Prayer. Fifteen prayers are our Father which art in heaven. So they say that you need to pray in the name of Mary ten times of praying our Father. Then it's to be a memorized prayer that you pray while you move those beads along their string. Our Jesus came to us and put it this way. When thou prayest, use not vain repetitions like the heathen, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Is that glorious? 1.1 billion Catholics on earth today thinking the rosary gets their prayers heard in heaven. Here we are in this cathedral. In this cathedral, and God sent his son to tell us, don't pray that way. Use my name one time 
and you'll be heard in heaven. Is that, what does that mean to you? Wow! Thank you, Lord! They're the majority. It's not even a proper word for how large they are compared to us. But the Lord's shown us the truth. When it comes to doting, Roman Catholics say the less that you have, the closer you'll be to God. That's why they have vows of celibacy and vows of poverty. You want to tell that to Job, who was a very rich man, and he was very rich in the end because God doubled everything to him. You want to tell that to Abraham, who was so rich he couldn't even move all of his assets at the same time as his nephew was moving his. You want to tell that to Isaac, he sowed in one year and reaped a hundredfold. That's a 10,000% return in your portfolio. That's decent. It outdoes the S&P 500 that's standing at around 0.7% over the last decade. Thank you, Lord, for being so doting. They make their, their monks and their nuns walk around in these drab robes. And the virtuous woman in Proverbs chapter 31 is in scarlet and purple and she's got tapestries in her houses. And she was beautiful. Sarah was beautiful to look upon, and she's the holy woman given as an example in the Bible. Catholics are wrong, and the Lord's shown us we have a doting Heavenly Father. He wants us to enjoy good things, and one of those good things is a spouse. So he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 that your portion under heaven, your portion in this life, is to love the wife of thy youth, and to work hard, and to have a reward for your labor. Go out and advance in some job. Be good at it. The Lord taught that because He's a doting Heavenly Father. Thank you, O Lord. You know, the things the world seeks after, they seek them after as the first thing in their lives. We seek them as the secondary or last thing in our lives, but He adds them to us anyway because we've put Him first. Look at Ezekiel 16 and, and the description of a doting father about that little baby that was in the field unswaddled, uncut, and thrown out... To the loathing of its soul. Ezekiel 16. And what is the little baby? What does it stand for? This baby didn't have its umbilical cord cut. Wasn't swaddled. Wasn't salted. Just thrown out in a field. That's you and me. That's the church. That is the Old Testament church. There wasn't a New Testament in the Old Testament. So he couldn't describe it as the New Testament church. But it was the church, and now we apply it to ourselves. This is God taking us under His care. What kind of a father is He? Well, just watch. Verse 6, When I passed by thee, Ezekiel 16, 6, And saw thee polluted in thine own blood, I said unto thee, When thou wast in thy blood, live. Yea, I said unto thee, When thou wast in thy blood, live. Keep watching the doting father. I have caused thee to multiply as the bud of the field. And thou hast increased and waxen great, and thou art come to excellent ornaments. All these things God got for Israel. This is a woman that was a little girl baby. Remember, we're the bride of Christ. And this is what he did for his little girl. Thy breasts are fashioned, and thine hair is grown, whereas thou wast naked and bare. Now when I passed by thee and looked upon thee, behold, thy time was the time of love. And I spread my skirt over thee, and covered thy nakedness. Yea, I swear unto thee, and entered into a covenant with thee, saith the Lord God, and thou becamest mine. He married her. Then washed I thee with water. Yea, I throughly washed away thy blood from thee, 
and I anointed thee with oil. I clothed thee also with broidered work, and shod thee with badger's skin, and I girded thee about with fine linen, and I covered thee with silk. I decked thee also with ornaments, and I put bracelets upon thy hands, and a chain on thy neck, and I put a jewel on thy forehead, and earrings in thine ears, and a beautiful crown upon thine head. Thus wast thou decked with gold and silver, and thy raiment was of fine linen and silk and broidered work. Thou didst eat fine flour and honey and oil, and thou wast exceeding beautiful, and thou didst prosper into a kingdom, and thy renown went forth among the heathen for thy beauty, for it was perfect through my comeliness, which I had put upon thee, saith the Lord God. Is that a doting father? Uh, That's the doting father that I want you to believe. What What did manna taste like? Manna tasted like wafers made with honey. The Lord Jehovah is not so utilitarian and practical that he gave them shredded wheat or grape nuts. The Lord Jehovah is protective. Do you know that it says in Psalm 105 and verse 15 that when Abraham and Isaac and Jacob wandered around through the land of Canaan, the Lord God said to anyone that got near them and had any ulterior designs toward them, Do my prophets no harm, touch not mine anointed. That's a quotation from a psalm in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, but it's in Psalm 105 as well. Look at Psalm 34, 7. He is protective. This is my last attribute, brethren. This is the last of the relational attributes. The relational attributes are the last category of attributes that the Lord has shown me at this stage. I hope to get to heaven and see the other categories. Except his word is sufficient. And so I trust his word. That it's told us all that we need to know about him. And I, it's hard to imagine another category. He's categorically perfect. He's categorically infinite. He's categorically glorious. He's my God and I want him to be your God. Psalm 34, 7. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. He is protective. Now that is protection. You know, the high school cheerleader wants to, wants to date the football quarterback. Like he's going to protect her. But what about the angel of the Lord encamping round about you 24-7? That's protection. Oh, that is protection. The angel of the Lord? Then when 10,000s come against you like Psalm 3 spoke about, do you have to worry about anything? How many thousands of Assyrians met the angel of the Lord outside the city walls of Jerusalem? I need a number. 185,000. And in the morning they were all dead corpses. Battle-hardened soldiers of the Assyrian Empire were the Assyrians known for putting up wimpy armies like the Italians of World War II. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to let that out. But everybody knows it, so I didn't let anything out. Were the Assyrians known for whipping armies? No. Battle-hardened soldiers that were experienced in combat, 185,000 dead corpses because the angel of the Lord was there to protect Israel, the church of God, to protect Hezekiah. Because our God is protective. Look at Psalm 91 to see that angel further. We have a young man in this assembly that was T-boned, sitting in his SUV a few years ago, and the angel of the Lord protected him. Psalm 91 and verse 11, For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, 
lest thou dash thy foot against a stone, or lest another vehicle T-bone you at an intersection. The Lord protects us. The great God has such an interest in us, and He relates to us so personally and so closely, and He truly considers us His children. He protects us. You got protected recently, Shane, at the detention center of this county. And we're thankful for that. You were thankful that morning. Has it kind of waned since then? The way you wrote me, you were very thankful. I don't want any of us to ever lose that Thanksgiving. You know, you, for you, it's been a week or so. For Jonathan Carnell, it's been several years. And Mrs. Carnell sitting next to him, remember the, the terror you felt when you did not know the seriousness of that accident? What was going to happen to your husband? But the Lord is good because he protects us and he dotes on us and he takes care of us. Did Satan know that God doted on Job? How would, how would we show it? Where would we go? We'd go to chapter 1, and what would we look for? Where did Satan admit that he knew that God doted on Job? Put a hedge about him. Job doesn't fear you for anything, God. Here you are bragging about Job. You know why he fears you. I know why he fears you. Because you've put a hedge about him and blessed everything that he touches. Is that a doting father? My point right now is the doting father. Did the Lord take that away for a short period of time to try Job? Yes. Did he get it back in the end? Oh, yes. Yes, with interest. Big interest. A hundred percent. Thank you, Lord, for being so protective of your servants like Job. Has there been a hedge around us? Amen. Has, has he, he's protected us. He's blessed us. He's prospered the things that we've tried. You know, sometimes he hasn't prospered them as much as you might think he should have prospered them. But you know why? Because if he would have prospered them as much as you think he should have prospered them, you would have stopped fearing him. All men forsook the Apostle Paul, but he didn't need any man except the man Christ Jesus. And the Lord stood with him when he went in to meet Nero. Second Timothy chapter 4, But the Lord stood with me and delivered me. Not only did God protect Abraham and give him a great victory in battle, he said, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. That's a protective God. Psalm 3 that we heard this morning, from that third verse, you know that the Lord is a shield and a lifter up of mine head because he does protect us. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows every sparrow that falls, and ye are of more value to him than many sparrows, the text goes on to tell us. His promise to never leave us nor forsake us should both give us contentment and courage Amen. because he is protective of us. Brethren, as I bring 44 messages to a close, why do you exist? For the glory of God. You don't exist for any other purpose. I want you and I want me to fulfill that purpose. What is the first commandment of all? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first and great commandment. Is that true of you? Are you keeping the first commandment? I haven't preached this series to entertain you except to entertain your spiritual new man that does keep that first commandment. Amen. How many of you are going to be like Enos? 
You know, there was Adam and Eve. Then there was Cain. Then there was, a, there was Abel. Abel was killed. Then there was Seth. Then Seth had a son named Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. You don't need anyone else to call upon the name of the Lord. Are you going to be one that calls upon the name of the Lord like Enos did? Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. What were they doing before Enos? What are you doing in your life? It doesn't matter what anyone else is doing. In this church, God in, God in His mercy has brought a number of sermons to you and to me about knowing Him. I want to be like Enos and call upon the name of the Lord for everything, for praise, for petition, for thanksgiving, for adoration, for answers, to call upon the name of the Lord. That's Genesis chapter 4. You can't get very far in the Bible before you find a change that took place in the generation of Enos. You go to the fifth chapter, and there's a man named Enoch who walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. God would rather have him in heaven because he walked with God. You can walk with God. It's been taught to this church. Are you reading the Bible daily? Are you praying daily? Are you seeking his face? Do you delight in him? Do you talk about him? Do you confess your sins? Are you walking with God? Walking with him. Every, everything you do is with Him. You go to work with Him. You work for Him. Everything you eat is a gift from Him. You are thankful to Him. You tell Him how wonderful it tastes. Everything is walking with God. Or 44 sermons are just going to turn to your condemnation and my condemnation. Delight thyself also in the Lord. Right. Do you know in Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 25 it said, as, as they describe the history of their nation, after being regathered there under Nehemiah, they said they delighted themselves in thy goodness. Do you delight yourself in God's goodness? That was the high point of Israel. They delighted themselves. That was their pleasure. What is your pleasure? What do you get the most pleasure from? What do I get the most pleasure from? It tells it tells so much about us. Let's not glory in those three things the world glories about. Our academic accomplishments, our athletic accomplishments, or our financial accomplishments. Let's glory in that we know Him. Right. He has revealed Himself to us. And He's revealed a lot of Himself to us. In these 44 sermons, He's shown us a lot about Himself. David would say, and I do want you to be like David. Girls, boys, men and women, to be like David. One thing have I desired of the Lord. That will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Is that your one thing? Is that what the one thing you seek after as a priority? There's a book of remembrance written before God of them that thought on his name and spake often one to another in Malachi 3.16. And when God brings judgment on this nation and when God brings judgment on this world, he will make a difference between the righteous and the wicked. And he will count up those that have talked about him and thought upon him 
whose names are written not in the book of life, but in the book of remembrance, and they shall be jewels in that day, and they shall walk on the ashes of the wicked. The whole world's against what I've preached. When you walk out of here, everything inside of you that's part of the old man, part of your flesh is against it. The world's against it and the devil's against it. He's already rebelled against the God of heaven. He wants you to join him. The Bible says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. This great God that I've told you about, you choose to be his enemy when you're in love with the world, when you flirt with the world. This world hates God and God hates this world. And when you get your jollies and you get your goals and you get your life and you get your fulfillment out of this world, you are his enemy. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word for all of you to love the Father, hate the world, delight in our God and love his Son, Jesus Christ, believing on him, trusting him, and walking with him every day. This has been my goal, my desire, my prayer. May Jesus Christ be praised. Amen.